The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Sucked him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of It's Wednesday, August 9th, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you tonight by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, it's been a bit of a sad week around Philly with the passing of Darren Dutch Dalton, which we will certainly talk about. We'll be talking to former Eagles All-Pro Safety Bill Bradley, and we'll go through our list of four broadcasters that will be on the Philly Press Box Radio Hall of Fame ballot as well. Yeah, busy show, Bill, with two awesome guests. And, uh, yeah, we will lead with an interview related to the passing of Darren Dalton, one of the most popular Phils ever and a key guy on that fun-to-watch 1993 squad who left us way too soon, just 55 years of age. Well, and I know you had a chance to catch up with uh, Chris Wheeler to talk about Dutch and his impact on those Phillies. Tell us about your conversation with Wheels. Yeah, Chris, of course, was a full-time Phillies broadcaster during Darren Dalton's entire Phillies career, and I know he thought very highly of Dutch, and I thought I'd get his thoughts on the loss of that popular Philly, an all-around great guy. Wheels, it's been a tough year for the Phillies family, losing three legends in Dallas Green, Jim Bunning, and now, of course, Darren Dalton. We've been hearing the last several days from a whole bunch of Darren's former teammates, and the first thing every one of them mentions is his leadership. What is it that made Dutch such a great leader? So many different personalities in that clubhouse. Jimmy didn't want to be in there all the time, and the coaches didn't want to be in there all the time, even though we had a couple of tough guys in Bo and Vukovic. They didn't want to do it all the time. So they asked Darren to do some things that wasn't necessarily his personality or his nature. But he did it, he ran with it, and he just did an amazing job of jumping guys when they had to and patting guys on the back when they needed that too. And it uh, it all worked for that one season. It was pretty amazing to watch. Now, Dalton's career numbers are fairly pedestrian, a 245 average, 137 home runs. But I guess sometimes a player's numbers don't tell the whole story. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, he talked about leaders. You know, you, a starting pitcher can't be a leader. A, a bench player can't be. A bullpen guy can't. you got to be an everyday player. And if you're an everyday player at a brutal position like catcher in the major leagues, the way he was with all his physical problems, he just – I think they watched him, too, and they saw how much and how in pain he was. And a lot of times he had those ice packs on his knees. He had them on his shoulder. You know, he he was always wrapped up like a mummy, I used to say. When when you'd see him, you'd go in the clubhouse afterwards, and he'd meet with the media, and he'd be sitting there with all these bags all over him. And it took him a lot to be able to play. So, yeah, I think a lot you're right about that. Sometimes you look at a guy's numbers, and they're – they're overinflated in a way, or maybe they're underinflated on what their importance was to a team. And in this case, not only to the team, but the position that he played on that team, where he had to handle the pitching staff, what he was doing in the clubhouse, and also the fact that he did produce numbers. You know, Darren walked a lot, too. He set the table for guys behind him. He had some power, and he drove in some runs, and he had a lot of clutch hits, too, in his time with the ball club. So, Hey, you look at it, he's not a Hall of Famer or anything like that. Hall of Fame human being, in my opinion, but certainly not a Hall of Fame baseball player. 
He certainly was terrific in 92 and 93, topping 100 RBIs both years, leading the league in 92, in fact. But as you mentioned, he had to battle through a slew of injuries, the bad knees, the broken collarbone. I just wonder how much better those career numbers would have been had he not taken such a physical beating. Well, especially when you're talking about your legs, because anybody who plays sports will tell you, if you don't have your legs, if you don't have a base, you can't compete. And uh, in baseball, hitting is all about your base, being able to to use your legs when you hit. You can't hit with just your upper body or not much is going to happen. And not only did he have problems with his knees, but it's not like he was playing a position that was going to make his knees healthy. Up and down, up and down in that heat and cold and all the different conditions that you play in in uh, Major League Baseball, in, in the toughest position in the sport. We just keep talking about it, and, uh, and I'll never get tired of it because it's something I so sincerely believe. He was just a special person in many ways uh, as a baseball player, sure, and everybody saw that. But what he did behind the scenes and what kind of a human being he was, and people who had contact with him always talked about what a nice experience it was to meet Darren Dalton. And I feel so lucky to have known him since he was, I guess, 19 is when I first met him. Yeah, I met Darren several times, and he was always fantastic, very personable, willing to talk, joke around, great guy. Do you have a favorite memory of Dutch or Bubba, as you called him? Yeah, Bubba. Oh, he liked that. Uh, I don't know where I got that from. Somebody else called him that one time, and I started calling Bubba to the day I saw him the last time. I called him Bubba. You know, people keep asking about a favorite story, and I, I don't have a favorite story. It's just an overall memory of what a good human being he was. And You know, I've heard some of the other players tell stories about how he would challenge a guy, and they didn't. nobody really wanted to go nose-to-nose with him, and he didn't want to fight necessarily. But, you know, he always made it clear that in those rare cases that he would be willing to do that. And the way he was so kind with people and with the younger players that would come up and you know the whole macho row thing was what it was he was the quote-unquote leader of macho row but he was not like that he was a sweet guy from kansas who just who just kind of evolved into that and then when it was over to be darren the kid from kansas who was everybody's best friend but he played the role pretty well when he had to Wheels, just one final question about a different topic. The current Phillies are not having a great season. They're on pace for 102 or 103 losses as we speak. So what do you want to see or what should we be watching for over the final seven weeks of the season? Oh, boy. Uh, You know, the thing that's most disappointing about this team is a few of the guys that you're really hoping progress and are pieces for the future have not. And they've kind of been running in sand all year. You know, one minute you think you got something, next minute you're not sure what you have. Pitching's been very, very disappointing. A lot of the young pitchers, you hope, are out of there. And, you know, Noll has emerged, and and you thought he would if he were healthy. But some of the others have not, and they've been very, very disappointing. So I guess if you were to bring anybody up that they could come up and, and, and play at this level before you get into September when the games really don't mean anything and move along and progress as major league players. And they hustle. They do. They try. They do their best. They've been involved in such a ton of one-run games. And, you know, when you're not a good team, Chet, you lose those games more times than you win them. And that's what's happened with them. But they don't quit. They do their work. The manager and the coaching staff stays on them, works with them, does everything they can to make them better. But there comes a point where they either get better or they don't. And that's what I hope more than anything is that some of these guys that we hope for the future are big-time players get to that point. And if not, then they're going to have to regroup and decide to move on and not fool themselves, in my opinion. And there you have it, my uh, chat with Chris Wheeler about Darren Dalton and a couple other topics right there. Good guy, Chris Wheeler, and we're glad he was able to do that on short notice. Yeah, he he certainly knows Dutch well and uh, good stories. And you could tell in his voice that – he knew we lost a we lost a good friend there, and uh, hopefully that's it.
We've got three this year. That's plenty. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Tough year uh, in that situation and a tough year for the Phils on the field as well. So uh, hopefully things will that's improve right. there. That's right. Well, we'll talk a little more about uh, Dutch before we're through. But, hey, we will be talking a little bit later about our Class of 2017 Hall of Fame broadcasters and announcers. And we'll have our poll up uh, tonight after the show. Harry Callis was picked last year in our first year, left us with three legends on the ballot. So the fourth one we will talk about shortly tonight. But we will have uh, Gene Hart. Merle Reese and Bill Campbell are the three returning, and we'll announce our fourth one a little bit later on. Chet, let's welcome our next guest of tonight's show, former Eagles All-Pro Safety, Super Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley, welcome back all the way from the state of Texas. You bet, man. It's uh, a little bit warm down here, but it sure gets you in shape if you're weed eating and mowing. (laughs) (laughs) You're fighting them 100-degree days down there. Oh, I know it, man. I'm I'm in the river all day long, or in a pool, or something. But it's kind of cool. It gets you gets your system going pretty good. I hear you. I bet. Hey, Bill. This is Chet. It was great seeing you once again in June at the annual Dick Vermeil Golf Outing, which is always a wonderful event. And we have you on the show because, well, of course, you're a legendary eagle. That's one thing. But it's also preseason football time. And, you know, Bill, people complain about the fact that there are four preseason games. When you played in the early 70s, there were 14 regular season games and six preseason games. What the heck was the NFL thinking back then? Oh, gosh, I don't know. And plus, we went to training camp for all those six weeks, and you didn't have any uh, rules and regulations. So you could have as many scrimmages or do whatever you wanted to. And then even on top of that, we got per diem. <laughs> I think wow. it was uh, twelve fifty or sixteen fifty a day, something like that. <laughs> oh. Hey, Bill, I, I, I have one follow-up. I, I, heard Ray, I heard Ray Didinger talking about uh, Dick Vermeil's arrival in 1976 and the fact that his first NFL training camp as Eagles head coach was pretty grueling. Now, you were there. How tough was it in 76? Oh, gosh, especially when you're at the end of your career and you, you ain't got a whole lot left in the tank. Those three <laughs> days were atrocious, and you can ask Sizemore or any of them guys, man. But it, it served its purpose, and it got them into a, a Super Bowl. So you can't argue with that. But, boy, it sure was uh, It was grueling. Hey, Bill, you, we saw you, as Chet said. It was great to see you over there at the Dick Vermeil Boy Scout golf outing again. And uh, what a great turnout, record number of, of former players. And uh, it seemed like Bill Bradley might have been having a good time. Oh, gosh, we had a great time. Uh, we went up uh, Dick Daddy and uh, Carl Hairston and uh, all size more than two or three of us. We went up to the, to the hole about halfway through the tournament. And they were sponsored by Loscow. Loscow is a fan company. And then when Jaworski came through, Bigfoot Harrison started going, Loscow is Polish word for quiet. You know how they do at golf tournaments where they raise the sign for the the gallery to be quiet? So we started yelling, Loscow, Loscow. And he was a big old guy anyway. So we had a ball doing that. And so... Normally you yell four whenever a ball goes off to the right or to the left. We went from four up to about 24, meaning five was bad, six was bad, seven was worse, and we went up to 20 and just go, 20, 20! And we had a ball sitting out there all day long, and we waited for everyone to come through, and it was a blast. Tom Luke and myself, Carl Big Daddy Harrison, and then Bigfoot Harrison. 
Yeah. Well, you know, Bill, I, I have never seen uh, Bigfoot, uh, you know, since his playing days. And there's not too many guys I feel like really make me feel tiny. But I had to get a picture <laughs> next to Bigfoot because that is one big human being. Oh, gosh, is he, excuse him, when he's holding up the Lascaux sign, uh, you do get quiet. But anyway, we had our own little fun there, and it was a black. We did it for about an hour and a half or two. Just laugh and laugh and laugh. It was a blast. Oh, I think Lascaux ought to give us some fans out of the deal. <laughs> hey, Bill, I mentioned it is preseason football time. The Eagles play their first game Thursday night. I don't know if you ever get to uh, see any Eagles preseason games down there in Texas, but what should we here in the Northeast watch for in these games that don't count? Well, I would I would start looking for the how well the quarterbacks matured over one season, you know, and uh, and seeing how he's throwing the ball if it's on time, if it's leading, if it's thrown behind, this and that and the other. And of course, it's going to be early, so some of that stuff's going to happen. And then about the number two thing I would look for is if they can get the running game going with the O-line, and then uh, that will spur the play-action pass game going. And then uh, so on third down, see how the O-line is protecting for different situations, third and short, third and medium, third and long. And uh, it's pretty cool. It, that, this is when they start finding out what kind of a team they're going to be able to, to work with when it starts counting. By the way, the coach there, I think, is really a neat guy. He's uh, – Easy to talk to as a former player and very down-to-earth and and pretty much got both his feet square on the ground, man. Yeah, I, I like him. I like him, too. I like him, too. I'm just hoping we, we get some wins. But, hey, shifting gears, I wanted to uh, ask you about your Longhorns. Tom Herman is the new coach down there. Are you pretty excited about what's going on in Austin? Well, we always are at this time of the year, but uh, it's like uh, – when I visited with him a time or two right before the end, being a little bit funny that we are sometime, I said, hey, man, you know I'm not from Texas. I'm from Missouri. And he looked at me and said, I thought you were from Palestine, Texas. I said, well, yeah, but this week, I'm, when we start this season, I'm going to be from Missouri. you got to show me. <laughs> and because everything now is – and it's good. It's all hyped-up stuff, and, and you're getting ready for an exciting season. It has to be that way, but uh, – We'll see what happens, you know, and I think he's on the right track. And I know he will manage football games well. And I don't know if they'll play really good, but they're kind of like the, the Eagles now. they got a very young quarterback, too, throwing the ball. So, uh, you know, they 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 got to mature him up pretty fast and just like they have in Philly. And I think I think both both Philly and, and, and my alma mater is going to do well this year. Uh, they're going to have some tough games, but they're going to, Get over the hump, I believe. Everybody in this part of the country and in the South, especially the Big 12, they want Texas to be relevant again because it just makes for a better Big 12 uh, yep. notoriety. Absolutely. I can't remember, Bill, if we talked about this the last time you were on with us, but after retiring, you did a lot of coaching, 30 years worth, in fact, including several seasons up in Canada where, as an assistant with the Toronto Argonauts, you won two Grey Cups. That was pretty cool, I imagine. It really was, and then uh, the coolest thing about that is that we had a little bitty quarterback, not a little bitty, but a smaller quarterback named Doug Flutie, and everybody knows Doug Flutie. And with wow, Doug, yeah. when, you're coordinating, when you're coordinating the defense with Doug, you can take a lot of chances, especially early in the game, because you know that he's going to uh, get you uh, a lot of points 
especially up there in that wide open league, he's going to get you a lot of points. And uh, so you could take chances on defense and really explore the, the the blitz packages and take some chances. And we sure did. We won two championships up there, and uh, mostly because of Doug. And then right after that, Doug and I went down to Buffalo to coach. I went to coach with Wade. Uh, Phillips and Doug came down as our backup quarterback and then ended up through injuries and this and that and the other. He won 30 games for us down there. Wow. Yeah. Hey, Bill, cool. shift, shift, shifting gears again, uh, you're going to be up in Philly the weekend of that September 23rd signing some autographs at the Philly show, right? Oh, yeah, we're going to be uh, 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 Frankie Lee, Franklin Master, John Bonning, and I will be out at the uh, Valley Forge Casino, which I've never been and. uh and there's going to be other guys out there. I think Herman Edwards may be there, other people. Yep. Yeah, Bill Berge and uh, Jaws is going to be there now and Loscow uh, and, and her. Loscow? Well, that's going to be pretty cool, and I'm really looking forward to it because when we get together, I really that, – that that is just amazing. And then when I get to the city, because I'll stay an extra four or five days, and I'll hit the Falladium, the uh, Villa de Roma, the Triangle Tavern, the Falladium, all those old places that – and we all used to hang out and see all my buddies there. Plus, the food is just fantastic. Of course, I still go to the original steak place and Pat's and everybody else. All the other steak places are getting well-known and done there, but I still stand in line and get my steak at Pat's, the king of steaks, the original, and love it. And I'm not throwing out advertisements for places, although I hope they're listening. I might get a cheesesteak free. <laughs> sure, I imagine you'll good. be at the Eagles' home opener on the 24th. I'm talking with uh, Brian Patson there and a couple of guys, and I'm hoping to get something done there. And I'm gonna, I'll be there whether, whether they want me to do something or not, because I'm looking forward to that. That is just an amazing stadium, and uh, it'll be great to see how they do on their home opener, man. It's, it's. I'm looking forward to that. And of course, living down here, me and Sizemore, we talk all the time in the Cowboy. Every time we open up each one of our conversations, whether it's on the phone or in person. We'd greet each other, give each other a hug, and we'd go, Cowboys still suck. (laughs) (laughs) That'll never leave the system, will it? Cowboys still suck. Yep, they do. (laughs) Hey, hey, Bill, I talked to you at uh, at the golf outing, and I passed on to you that Kevin Riley had told us a story here on this show about you and integrating Texas high school football and you being a key player in that. You... You referred me to a book, The Kids Got It Right, by Jim Dent, and I did actually go out and buy that book, and I've read it, and uh, what an awesome book, and what an awesome job you did with that, and the names in that book, Bubba Smith and Jerry Levias and Mel Farr and Miller Farr, man, what some great names of Texas high school football. Tell us a a little bit about that kind of quick, the the whole, summarize the story. Oh, it's pretty cool. And I went up there as a punter and a safety. And, oh, we had played a north-south high school all-star game in Texas before we went to the Big 33. Bobby Lane, Dope Walker was our coaches. And that game coincided. It, it all coincided in that they, they, they didn't get the best team up to the Big 33 because it was on the same weekend. So Bobby Lane went to the governor, Conley, and he got the date changed, which was the first time that it had ever been changed. And so, and it was also going to be the very first time that the African-American player was allowed to play in a high school all-star game in the state of Texas. Even though it was in Philadelphia, he was going to be with the, uh, with the Texas football team. And so we go up to play in Hershey, 
and uh, we stay out as the Texas team on the Hershey Estates and all their buildings out there because Mr. Hershey, the way I understand it, was an orphan, and, and he had a big school for orphans out there. Well, we stayed there, and then the, 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 the big 33 uh, players from Philly, they stayed in a hotel, uh, a motel. And By the way, they had uh, – they had uh, uh, oh, gosh, uh, Mike Reed was their kicker fullback. Terry Hanratty was their – Backup quarterback and little halfback wow. and cornerback, as they call them now, and uh, a bunch of other guys that were really good. And so it was the first time where they allowed uh, black players to play in a high school all star game uh, from the state of Texas. And so uh, I went up to the desk to get mine when I checked in and uh, and to get my blanket and my pillow and this. And they said, Mr. Bradley, do you want a room with? Uh, with Mr. LeBice. I said, sure. So I get it. Well, they called me back two or three times, and they said, are you sure you want a room with Mr. LeBice? And I said, well, does he have leprosy? What does he got? I mean, he's a football player. <laughs> and they went, oh, yeah, but he's a little black man. And I said, wow. well, he's a football player, isn't he? Yeah, this is 1965 now. And uh, when the, our state was just integrated. And so we did that, and we ended up just – I ended up playing quarterback the second half of the Big 33 game, and my receiver was a young man by the name of Jerry Labias, who ended up being the first African-American on scholarship at SMU and in the Southwest Conference. And so when I come out the second half, Bobby Lane throws me in at quarterback, and I haven't even played the practice to down at quarterback. And so I look out there, and Terry Hanratty, who we still talk, I call him every once in a while. He lives in New York. But I, I go my first nap on about the middle of the third quarter. I look out there, and LeBias is lined up against Terry Hanrat. And so Terry and I are still friends today because of that game. And I go, man, hey, I'm going to go a quick 30. I'm going to drop back three steps, wind up, throw the ball as deep as I can. Jerry, I want you to run by Hanrat. And he does it and scores a 70-yard play. Mm. So the next time we get, and we're down fourteen to seven at halftime, and so the next time we get to follow through the same, so we catch up, go twenty one fourteen, I believe it was twenty one fourteen, and I still never let Hanratty live that down. <laughs> it was well, a total mismatch, and he, but he is he was a great quarterback at Notre Dame, and we still stay in touch, and all of us guys do. And uh, you but, know, Mike Speed, when he was the fullback kicker for the Big Thirty Three. He started writing songs, and at the height of his football career with uh, Cincinnati, he made all pro and quit playing after his third year to become a songwriter in Nashville. It won, won a few Grammys doing it as well. Oh, he wrote 10 number one hits for a blind piano singer and uh, just won about 10 or 11 Grammys. And I got to yep. talk with Mike, and our our uh, common denominator was a big 33 all-star game. Mm-hmm. Well, really cool Bill, that you you were a great high school athlete in in multiple sports, but I have to ask you, as a seventeen or eighteen year old in this big thirty three game, what was it like for you playing for legends like Bobby Lane and Doak Walker? Those those guys aren't just Texas legends; they're football legends. Oh gosh, and uh, of course Bobby was wild man, and Doak was the you know he would always be his driver or his common denominator to keep him down from either getting arrested or beat up. And so we're out there. Our first practice against the Big 33 team, they were practicing at full gear down at the other end of the field. We were at the other end. 
our first practice when we got there from Dallas the next day after we had our team meeting and checked into our farmhouse, uh, our first practice was the offense against the defense in our end zone with a football. Offense versus the defense, 11 players on each side. We played football, volleyball over the goalpost. If you can imagine playing volleyball with a football with 11 guys on defense, and they're down there scrimmaging, and they're yelling down to us, we're going to kick y'all's rear end, and we're just looking at them, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, But they were different, man. Bobby Lane's one of the most unique individuals I've ever been around, and uh, Bill Walker's the nicest man I've ever been around, and uh, on and on and on. And we had Norm Bulag. We had guys that went on. I think everybody on our team ended up making all pro. Wow. Well, for those that want to read it, uh, it's called The Kids Got It Right by Jim Dent. Jim also wrote North Dallas 40, I believe. And uh, it is an outstanding book. And, uh, Bill, you, you, did, you did a great thing. It's, uh, and it's, it's pretty well documented. Jim did a nice job. Oh, it's pretty good. I've been wanting to make a movie of it, and, uh, and, and I don't know if they ever will or not. But it was pretty cool. And thank you guys for having me. And don't forget now, around the 22nd, Come out to Valley Forge, man. I'll visit anybody who wants to sit there and listen. Bill, I'm going to come and see you next month. I, I definitely am. I'll be there on the 23rd of September to see you. Oh, come on, hey, one final question. With, okay, you got it. Um, one final question. You mentioned you like Doug Peterson. You said you uh, like what Carson Wentz is bringing to the table. You think he's got some upside. So I know you don't follow the Eagles, you know, the day-to-day goings-on, but do you have a feel about the 2017 Eagles and what we should expect here in year two of Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz? Well, I tell you what now, it, it's gone back. You know, used to they call the Vikings division the black and blue division with Chicago and that group way back in the day. Now it's it's turning back and we always knew that with the Giants, us and Dallas, it was that was a real black and blue division. And to uh, that, it's a little more wide open now. But Dallas is going to be well represented, and the Eagles are climbing right up that ladder. Which the Redskins, you never know what's going to happen with them. They're hot and cold. And then the Giants, you know, and it's uh, I like that division. It's going to be a tough division, so. I would say anywhere, anybody around the, the 10 to 11 win game season and, something, and even maybe a nine might get you into them, you know. It, those kind of things will get you into the playoffs. Very good. Hope you're right. Well, Bill, anything we, can happen when you get to the playoffs, you know. It, that's it, right. Indeed. Just have to and get the dance. Oh, gosh. Well, and you got the best fans in the world sitting right there in that city, man. Absolutely. I, I well, we hope they come out and see you I, on I, September I 23rd. Please do. Yep, the 23rd, we're coming in on a Friday. And then I think I'm going to go stay down in Center City for two or three days and go to the game and uh, and really be a, a good Eagles fan that day. I'm not going to boost I'm going to see you. Anybody, but I'm going to go watch them and pull for them. There you go. All right, Bill. Well, hey, thanks for joining us again. Great stories and a great book. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, we hope to see you on September 23rd. Go Eagles. Yeah, let's go Eagles, baby. Let's go get them. Let's go get them. If it wasn't for the, when I played, if it wasn't for Billy Kilmer, I'd have never made all pro. He always threw me two passes. We played him twice <laughs> again. So that's, that's four fifth year right there. And I, I never let Kilmer forget it either. He's wonderful, too. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Bill. You're the best. 
We appreciate you. All right. Thanks for that. All right, Chet. Good stuff. Hey, let's talk about what's going on over at the Irish Rover Station House this week. Any Eagles specials? (laughs) I'm not sure about any Eagles specials, Bill, but I do know the Irish Rover has beer specials every Thursday night starting at 9 p.m., I know from experience. And last week they unveiled a slew of new menu items. Tasty new items include a farmer's salad, a turkey burger, gamer's flatbread, and broiled flounder. Plus, the Rover has a new express lunch menu designed to get you in and out in 30 minutes. All express lunch items are just $7. You can add a draft beer for 2 bucks. And always great burgers and awesome wings at the Rover. Nice weather this week, so feel free to enjoy the outdoor patio. It's the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hey, Chet, that brings us to our Philly Press Box Radio Class of 2017 Hall of Fame for broadcasters and announcers. We talked about this briefly up front. We did this last year, first time. Harry Callis was selected, which left us with three legends on the ballot. So we added a fourth, which we'll talk about shortly. The fans will be able to vote for their favorite immediately after the show by going to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and clicking on the link. Chet, let's get it started with a legendary Flyers play-by-play man, Hall of Famer, Gene Hart. Yeah, you got it. Uh, He was born in New York City, but as you know, Gene Hart will forever be remembered as one of Philadelphia's legendary broadcasters. He graduated from Pleasantville High in South Jersey, then went to Trenton State College. He did some play-by-play of high school hockey and other sports in his 20s and early 30s, but really didn't have all that much experience when he auditioned for a broadcast job with the expansion of Philadelphia Flyers just over 50 years ago now. He got the job working initially in 1967 as color analyst with play-by-play voice Stu Nahan. He ended up, of course, taking over play-by-play and staying behind the mic, going from TV to radio and back to TV for 29 years through the end of the 1994-95 season. As you remember, Gene had a rapid-fire delivery, and he announced more than 2,000 NHL games, six separate Stanley Cup finals, and five NHL All-Star games. One of his most memorable calls, of course, came at the end of Game 6 of the 1974 Cup Final. Maybe the most perfect call in a championship game ever. As most people know, Gene Hart's signature phrase, which he used at the end of games, was good night and good hockey. A legend for sure, Gene Hart. And speaking of legends, Bill, you've got one to tell us about. I do. Next up is another Hall of Famer, this time in basketball, although he could be in several Halls of Fame. Because he covered all sports, that would be Bill Campbell. The rebound, Luckin Bill. Back to Chamberlain. He shoots up. No good. In and out. The rebound, Luckin Bill. Back to Luckwick. Into Chamberlain. Thank you. 
Bill Campbell was a broadcaster for the Philadelphia Warriors, 76ers, Phillies, and Eagles. Among his most famous broadcasts, the Will Chamberlain 100-point game you just heard, still an NBA record. That was in 1962. Also, the Eagles NFL championship win over Green Bay in 1960 at Franklin Field. Bill was the winner of the 2005 Kurt Gowdy Award for induction into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Upon Bill's passing another on our ballot, Merle Reese offered the following. He was the greatest in the history of Philadelphia broadcasting. He did every sport in Philadelphia, the Warriors and the Sixers in basketball, the Phillies, the Eagles, of course, college basketball, the pin relays, hosted talk shows, and he was great. I nicknamed him the Dean. He received Broadcaster of the Year Award by the National Sports Broadcaster three times. He was also inducted into several local Hall of Fames, but was a broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Penn State football, and Big Five basketball games. That would be Bill Campbell. And, Chet, you're up, and I know this guy is one of your favorites, Eagles legend Merle Reese. Yeah, absolutely. One of the legends among Philly sportscasters, the great Merrill Reese, soon to be 75 years old, believe it or not. Merrill, a Temple alum, has been a part of the Philadelphia radio scene since the 1960s and the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles since 1977. He has won a slew of awards, including being named Pennsylvania Sportscaster of the Year twice. And, of course, last fall, Merrill was inducted into the Eagles Hall of Fame. Quite an honor. He's about to begin his 41st season as the Birds' play-by-play voice. And what a voice it is. Under 30 seconds left in the game. From here on in, Pizarczyk can just fall on the football, and there is nothing the Eagles can do. And Pizarczyk fumbles the football. It's picked up by Herman Edwards. 15, 10, 5, touchdown Eagles. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. They give it to Smith and they stop him again! They stop him again! The Eagles, for the first time in 24 years, are headed to the Super Bowl. Bob takes the snap, he's back, he fires, completes to John Jackson. Breaks away, 45-40, 35-30, he's gonna go! To John Jackson, cartwheels into the end zone! 64-yard touchdown! He is sick! The kick is up. What a moment. It's gone! And the Eagles win! <laughs> I love it. Merrill's made so many great calls. Those are just a few of them. And he is still very sharp, sharp as attack. He's also the longest-serving current play-by-play announcer in the National Football League. Often imitated but never duplicated, the great Merrill Reese. And that brings us to our final broadcaster candidate, the lone newcomer to the ballot. The Philadelphia Phillies welcome you to Citizens Bank Park. Batting for the Phillies, Mike Schmidt, Ryan Howard, Chase Buckley, shortstop Jimmy Rollins. From the time that my father took me to Connie Mack Stadium in 1954 to see the Phillies play, I just fell in love with the ballpark atmosphere and the green grass and the Philadelphia Phillies baseball team. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be great to be a part of this someday? Ladies and gentlemen, the 2012 Philadelphia Phillies! That is the voice of Dan Baker. Baker has been the public address announcer for the Phillies since 1972. He was the Eagles PA announcer from 1985 to 2014. He has served as the PA voice for five World Series, two Major League Baseball All-Star Games, and three NFC Championships games. Baker is the Longest tenured 
PA announcer in Major League Baseball at this time after the retirement of Bob Shepard of the Yankees. He also serves as PA announcer for the Army-Navy game when it is played in Philadelphia as well. Baker was the radio announcer for Drexel basketball from 1997 to 2012, after which he retired and became the team's public address announcer. Before that, he broadcast Philadelphia Big Five basketball games for 21 years, while additionally serving as its executive director from 1981 to 1996. Baker was named to the Big Five Hall of Fame in 1997 and was inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame in 2012. And Chet, that will do it. Four guys, certainly all worthy of our Philly Press Box Radio Hall of Fame. Yeah, no doubt about that, Bill. And by the way, I met Dan Baker last month for the first time ever, believe it or not, outside Xfinity Live. I talked to him briefly. Seemed like a real class guy. But he's probably an underdog in this contest with the competition being Merrill, Gene Hart, and Bill Campbell. But we shall see. Well, he probably is an underdog. But uh, the reason that I wanted to play the, uh, the audio first is because many people know the voice and not near as many know the name. But he's certainly been around our entire lives pretty well. Yeah, I can't believe he's been there since 1972. That, that's, that's 45 years, if my math is correct. <laughs> yes, it is. And, and then did the Eagles from, uh, for another 29 years. So uh, if you've been going to ball games in Philadelphia, you have been listening to Mr. Dan Baker. Yes, indeed. So a good foursome right there. Hey, while we're talking uh, about Dan Baker, uh, here's a guy he introduced quite a bit, Darren Dalton. I didn't get to play this earlier when we were talking about Dalton earlier, but uh, we heard so much about Darren this week. This is what he had to say at his Wall of Fame induction in 2010. In fact, seven years ago this past Sunday, the day that he passed. I take enormous pride in being accepted on this Wall of Fame and take great pride in the organization and the city of Philadelphia and being able to represent us as one. It's almost like I can no longer call you fans. We've been through too much together, so I'm going to start calling you family. Darren Dalton, as I said uh, in the piece that I wrote, I met him, I think, four or five times, and he was always real nice. You know, some sports celebrities will kind of give you a a courtesy handshake, say hello, and then they're on their way. But Darren was always willing to talk, very fan-friendly, just a real nice guy. So he will certainly be missed. Yes, he certainly will. And uh, and I'm going to actually talk briefly about Dutch in my um, parting shot. So I will leave that sit right there, and we'll we'll come back to him. Sounds good. Hey, Chet, tomorrow night's the night. Eagles-Packers from Lambeau. Word is that Carson Wentz will be getting some playing time. And also, tomorrow will mark exactly one month until opening day, September 10th. The birds travel to Washington to take on the Redskins. You never know, Bill, what you're going to get from preseason games, especially the first preseason game, other than some really vanilla offenses and two brief appearances by most of the big names. But I will be watching And as we discussed last week, the cornerbacks will absolutely be in the spotlight, not only in this game, but all of August for the Birds. Even with no Aaron Rodgers going for the Packers, the cornerbacks will almost certainly be tested. And, yeah, opening day for the Birds just one month away from Thursday. Yeah, that time's going to go fast. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm I'm a little more excited – uh, now than I than I usually am during during camp because I think there are some positions that going to, that are going to be fought for and uh, it may not happen for the next couple of weeks in game situations um, 
but there, there's going to be some guys getting opportunities, and and for the, especially for the youngest guys, maybe the free agents, uh, they're going to be seeing a lot of time starting tomorrow, and uh, this is their chance to make a show. Yeah, and a lot of the talk on uh, sports radio this week has been about the wide receivers and you know whether Jeffrey is going to play or not. Al- Alshon Jeffrey, uh, he's probably not from what we're hearing. Meanwhile, Nelson Aguilar may be unseating Jordan Matthews as the slot receiver. That's an interesting development. People questioning why uh, Howie didn't even bother to approach Jordan Matthews about an extension going into the final year of his contract. So you know maybe Matthews is on the way out, and they do have some faith in Aguilar, who, although he looked good last year, he's looking again good this year. I'm talking about in training camp, not in uh, the regular season. So, you know, maybe they're seeing something in Aguilar. As we said previously, a lot of guys don't really develop until their third year, so maybe this will be Aguilar's breakout season. That would be great for the Eagles if that were the case. But, yeah, competition there with those guys at wide receiver. We know about the competition at running back, uh, the secondary. So a lot of things to keep an eye on over the course of these four preseason games. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, that's a great comment about Jordan Matthews. I think it's interesting that, you know, everybody kind of has been on Aguilar um, deservingly, but Jordan Matthews was dropping footballs all last year too, and to not be offered a, a an extension to me, he he isn't he doesn't deserve one yet. So to me, he's he needs to be fighting for his job. He shouldn't be be handed anything. Yeah, I mean his numbers aren't bad though. I mean he's averaging what seventy five catches a season over the three seasons he's been here. Um, so he's got some decent numbers. Not a thousand yard receiver yet, but. Uh, Interesting to see how that's going to develop. Speaking of Eagles and the competition and practice, Sunday I was at the Eagles open practice. That was the first time I've ever gone to an Eagles practice in all my years, believe it or not. And it was fun. It was you know one of the two open practices, and 36,000 people showed up. And like a lot of them, I wasn't really focused too much on the practice. I was really there to check out what was going on you know, out in the concourse and outside the stadium and all sorts of fan-friendly things, uh, photo opportunities. Bill Berge was there. Willie Thomas was there. It was a good time. You got to watch some of the practice, of course. Carson Wentz did look good, what I saw. He was certainly on target. Um, but really a fun experience and a great job by everybody involved with the Eagles organization for what they do. Getting It was kids' day, so they had a young 11- or 12-year-old girl singing the national anthem they had uh, John Dorenbos doing a magic trick with a kid on the big screen. So a fun day at the link. Glad I made it. Well, the, and the Eagles make that into a nice day because just going to football practice to go to football practice is not all that fun. <laughs> I did it for I did it for a long, long time, a lot of years, and uh, it, it's a lot of work going to football practice if you don't have anything invested. But the Eagles have made it uh, made it into a nice day, and like I say, you could you could go there and and do everything else and never watch football and be and be just as happy. And as a surprise to no one, there were people tailgating for a practice at 8.30 in the morning. Hey, that's why you're from <laughs> Philadelphia, and that's why you're a diehard football fan right there. You know it, baby. <laughs> and what was, was one of them, them you, by the way? No, I did not tailgate. I did not. I, I got there about 9.30 myself, so uh, no tailgating for me. I behaved. Okay, just being sure in case Mrs. Chesko is listening and she know the real deal. We're we're, we're putting Trust it out me, there. Trust me, she's not. <laughs> not All right, hey Chet, let's talk Phillies for a few minutes. I've been holding on to this for a while and didn't know if we would discuss it at all or not. But the article that we posted on the website yesterday about the struggling young pitchers and Wheels just mentioned it in his in his interview, delaying the rebuild, brought me to 
brought this topic to the top again for me. About a month ago, my cousin Bob and I had a conversation about the whole rebuild and the trading in the ace Cole Hamels for all these prospects that may or may not make it. And Bob stated that the same situation was in place in 1972 when Super Steve Carlton put together a season for the ages with a lineup that included second-year player Greg Luzinski, rookie Mike Schmidt, a bunch of youngsters like Larry Bull and Bob Boone. In that case, they chose to build around lefty, but in this case, they chose to trade Hamels and attempt to build with prospects. And obviously, the first way worked as the Phils became a powerhouse from 76 to 83. Is there a right or wrong approach with that? Because right now, you know, they don't have Matt Harrison, who was in that deal. They don't have Alec Asher, who, who was in that deal. They basically got nothing for either one of them. And the only one that's been successful, at least first time around, is Nick Williams, although there's some other guys banging on the door. So what's your take on that? I, I think um, – I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer. Yeah, I don't know either. It's the right approach if it ends up working. It's the wrong approach if it doesn't. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. But, uh, yeah, as Chris Wheeler noted, Aaron Nola is looking like the real deal right now. He's had, what, eight or nine great starts in a row, so that's terrific to see. But every single one of the other guys in terms of the young starting pitchers remains a question mark. Vince Velasquez has great stuff but struggles to get through six innings due to a couple of high pitch count innings every single outing. Jared Eikhoff showed lots of potential last year, but then he's struggled mightily this season. Jake Thompson's been a real disappointment. I was high on him, and he has not looked good at the major league level when he's been up. Uh, Zach Eflin, who had a nice game Tuesday night, has been inconsistent. Nick Pavetta has been inconsistent. So 2018 is going to be a key for a lot of those young pitchers, as well as for the other guys like Jorge Alfaro, Nick Williams, uh, and we'll see what happens with Hoskins. So, yeah, 2018, another key year for this young Phillies organization. Well, and you mentioned all the guys that were in that deal, Eikhoff, Thompson, and Alfaro, besides Williams and Asher, and Harrison, and like you say, they're they're all on the bubble. So you know, I guess in Carlton's case, you kept him around, and every fourth day he was going to go out, and and you had a chance to win. And Hamels would have probably put them in that same situation. If if everything ended the way it is right now, you're talking about a Hamels for Nick Williams trade. That's not good. No, that's not. But I still think it was the right move. I mean, we don't know if anybody else is going to turn out, if Jake Thompson will get his act together, if Alfaro will get get it going, because he certainly looks like he has talent. Um, but uh, I, I still would have made the deal, because the Phillies were going nowhere, you know, a couple of years back. And while we all loved Cole Hamels, I think it was a gamble they had to take, because they were still several years away from contending. And with pitchers, you never know if they're going to stay healthy and be good, you know, a couple of years from a particular point in time. Well, we will see. Um, definitely a, a philosophy that they chose to go with. And, and I agree to to some matter because they, they depleted the bullpen in the Roy Holiday trades, Cliff Lee trades, and some other trades they made where they gave up four or five guys to get those guys. So the bullpen or the uh, the minor leagues was definitely in, in trouble, and they needed some bodies. But, uh, you know, you also traded away your, your ace in this case and some other good players. You know, they had to get bodies, and, and it hopefully will turn out okay. I'm really curious to see what happens with Hoskins, who's now playing left field for a few games down at Lehigh Valley. I want to see what happens with him. I'm sure they're going to call him up, even if Tommy Joseph is not uh, sent packing this month, and I don't think he's going to be. So maybe Hoskins will get some time in left field with the Phillies. We'll see.
Yeah, what, what are you going to do out there now that you've got Nick out there, Nick Williams, you've got O'Double who's hitting the ball, and you've got out there that everybody seems high on except me, and now you're going to put Hoskins out there. As far as I know, uh, they still play three outfielders. You do. You play three at a time, so you're going to mix and match depending on, you know, who's pitching for the other team and how you feel at the time. Yeah, I hate that. Hate that platoon stuff. Put them in there, let them hit. I know. But hey, Chet, Steve Carlton will be at Carl's Cards and Collectibles in Havertown, PA, this Saturday. And Jim Tomei will be at Popple Sports in the Plymouth Meeting Mall. Both great guys to add to your collection. By the way, as part of the fallout, the Pete Rose signing at Popple's was canceled for this weekend. Are you going to try to make either of those signings? I'm uh, not going to make either, unfortunately. would love to see Tomei, but I just can't get there. Very happy that I got to meet Lefty a couple of years back. I'm sure Carl Henderson will have an amazing turnout for that one. They will be lined up around the block, I have a hunch. I do, too. I think it's going to be a big show, and I think it's going to be a big show for uh, for Tomei as well. Two great guys. I, don't, I didn't write down the times for both of those. I don't know if you can go to one and get to the other. Physically, they're not too awful far away, but if they're sitting, times are sitting right on top of each other, both those guys are going to have to get out of there to get down to the stadium, so it's not like they're going to be able to hang around all day. Yeah, and, you know, we still haven't heard what they're officially doing for uh, what had been Pete Rose Wall of Fame night Saturday. They're going to do some sort of honor. I'm sure they're going to recognize Dalton, but they haven't made an official announcement, at least as far as I know. Right. Well, I'm sure they've got all these guys in town. They're still going to go. I mean, they're certainly going to introduce them and all that, I would think. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of I people bought so. tickets. Sure. You bought tickets, didn't you? I did. Now, they gave us the option, of course, of you know, get, uh, giving them back for a refund or trading them in for another game, and I still haven't decided what I'm doing. So I may go to the game. I may trade them in for another game. I don't know. We'll see. Gotcha. All right, Chet. Well, hey, we again want to thank each and everyone that visits our website, phillypressboxradio.com. We continue to keep it updated with articles from the local papers and a few that we write. An excellent article by you this week, Mr. Chesko, on Dutch Dalton. Uh, you can listen to all of our shows and also the Vimeos from our show guests and a list of the websites of our guests and check out our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. Just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on each of their displays to transfer to their websites. Yeah, lots of great response to that piece on Dalton that I wrote. Thank you for that to everyone who uh, checked it out. And don't forget the link to vote on this year's Hall of Fame broadcaster nominees will be up later this evening, Wednesday night. So be sure to vote for one of those four great announcers on the Philadelphia sports scene. Yep, that po- that poll will be up at 8 o'clock. It's ready and sitting, waiting on the publish button as soon as our show is complete. You'll be ready to go. Okay. Well, Chet, football is here. I know you've got guests lined up, and you won't even share them with me. So go ahead and tell all (laughs) of us who will be visiting with us next week. I can't even get that out of you. I like to keep you on your toes, my friend. Keep you in suspense. Yeah, the Eagles' first preseason game will be in the books, and they'll be getting ready for game two of the preseason next Thursday. That one at the link. So it's time to get down to some serious football talk with another one of our favorite guests. You know him from Bleeding Green Nation. Brandon Lee Gowton joins us next week. In addition, we will talk more fantasy football with our pal Fred Hugo. All right. Looking forward to hearing from Brandon. He's always he's always right, got his uh, finger on the pulse, no no doubt about that. He does. Yep. And also, by then, we'll, we'll have sorted out. It, uh, Brandon uh, posted an article today, I believe it was him, 
Bleeding Green Nation, I think, uh, about ESPN and raising uh, the pricing on being able to watch football games. So I think that was him. We'll I check that out, that. and uh, we'll be able to talk about that with him as well. Did not see that. Okay. All right. Well, hey, Chip, before we get to our parting shots, let's say happy, happy, happy birthday to Big John Roberts. When is that? That is today. I didn't get a notification of that. Are you sure about that one? I am 100% sure about it. I didn't get a notification either, but I saw some others wishing him a happy birthday, so I checked into it, and sure enough, uh, Big John Roberts' birthday today. Big John keeping it quiet. Happy birthday, J.R., you the man. Yes, he is. Mr. Chesco, (laughs) parting shot for you tonight, sir. You know it. Soccer will never break into my top four favorite sports to watch, but I went to my second Philadelphia Union game this past Saturday, and I've got to admit, I enjoyed it. First, Talon Energy Stadium, the Union's home since 2010, is a real cool place, situated right on the waterfront in Chester, PA, with a neat view of the Delaware River and Commodore Barry Bridge. As you enter the stadium, you're greeted by works of art created by Union fans. There's a new Sons of Ben mural painted by Ryan Bross that features Ben Franklin and the Philly skyline. The Union does various giveaways, one of them via a parachute drop. Actually, it's a couple of hundred mini parachutes from the top of the stadium. That's uh, during pregame festivities. There's a neat section next to the river called the Union Ale House and Deck featuring a nice variety of beers. Yeah, I visited it, sure. And uh, every stadium worker I came across was very, very friendly. Nice atmosphere. And the Union won the game 3-1, to one, beating FC Dallas for the first time ever, they tell me. Surprisingly, I didn't hear one single Dallas sucks chant the whole night. It's a bit different from an Eagles crowd, I guess. Anyway, kudos to the Union and everyone at Talon Energy Stadium for making soccer fun for this non-fan. Well, i tell you what, Chet. You go to see soccer in the Union, but you don't go know a thing about the Philadelphia soul. I'm not sure what to think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, Chet, my parting shot. It was quite a sight to see the outpouring of support for Darren Dutch Dalton this past week. Everyone knew Dutch as the team leader, the guy that held the locker room together on Macho Row. What many didn't know was Dutch Dalton, the public figure. When Dutch passed, passed, the number of photos of him posing with hundreds and hundreds of fans all over the years were posted on social media, creating cherished keepsakes and memories for all fans. I was never a big fan of Darren Dalton, the baseball player, but I always admired Darren Dalton, the leader, and Darren Dalton, the person. I never heard a person say a bad thing about him. Rest in peace, Dutch. You left us far too early, but with a treasure chest full of memories. That is the truth. And with that, Mr. Chesco, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guests, Bill Bradley and Chris Wheeler, Irish Rover Station House, and BobSullivan'sLikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, August 16th at 7 p.m. when Brandon Lee Galton and Fred Hugo join us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Radio. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and MixCloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Like a